0: His healthcare reform solution requires no legislation, no market reconfiguration, little or no capital investment. It may be started today, and benefits are realized quickly. You are listening to ReachMD, XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. Stephen Spear, senior fellow at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement in Cambridge, Massachusetts, a senior lecturer at MIT and author of the book, Chasing the Rabbit. Dr. Spear, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. Hello.
0: What is your health care reform solution?
1: Well, there's several pieces to it. The pieces go something like this, which is to turn healthcare care into a sector of the economy which looks like other high-performing sectors. Part one is that we need to be able to measure performance and measure performance at a fairly granular level. So just as, a, as an example, any other part of the economy that you and I consider high-performing, a place where is a, a consumer, a payer, a buyer we feel great comfort that we're going to get our money's worth. You have a couple of features. One is competition, or a number of providers anyway, a number of competitors. Amongst those competitors, when we go to purchase something, we can look at their range of offerings. And whether it's our own evaluation or the evaluation of experts, we can tell performance. Uh, we can get price data very, very easily. And then the last part is based on how well they perform, and the price they charge, we can actually make some choice amongst providers. Currently, data on performance in healthcare care is uh, obscured, inaccurate, and highly aggregated. For many people, depending on the type of health care insurance they have, the ability to make choice amongst those folks is extraordinarily difficult. So there's a side to this which will require some reform. It's not clear to me that reform has to come out of government. I, I, I think, you know, particularly the way we're organized with some very, very large payers, their ability to exercise market muscle is underutilized right now in terms of demanding measures of performance and then exercising their ability to uh, make choice based on those. And then there's the other part, though, and this is the part which really requires no new regulation or anything like that, which is on the provider side. And the basic problem in healthcare today is that providers, hospitals, specialty clinics, even primary care offices, what they offer, the service they offer, is exceptionally complex. It requires, in order to have a successful outcome, be it primary care, management of chronic conditions, uh, preventative care, and certainly management of acute conditions, it requires that a fair number of people, sometimes in the dozens, sometimes in the hundreds, even for the really difficult things, that each of them do their work exceptionally well, but also that the work they do as individuals is well integrated into some kind of coherent, high performing whole. And the problem we see in healthcare is that most provider organizations are organized not by the service they deliver, sort of a process start to finish, the patient experience beginning to end, but they're organized around discipline and function. And the problem with organizing around discipline and function, it allows people and encourages people, in fact, to work very, very hard to achieve standards of excellence within their discipline, losing sight of the fact that the work they do is not the end point. The work they do is essentially has to be handed off. It's an in, The work they do is an input to somebody else. And when things are organized strictly around function and discipline, people don't do their work and don't perform their work and don't design their work with the next provider in mind. So the, the, the big change that can be done, and this is entirely within the latitude of the provider organizations, is starts focusing on the patient experience start to finish, the flow of work through the organization Or if you think about this more diagrammatically, if we think about people currently organized within functional silos, physicians separated from surgeons, uh, doctors separated from nurses, even within the physician community that you have people separated by oncology, orthopedics, obstetrics, and so on, that there'd be a horizontal focus also, which is start to finish left to right. What does the flow of work look like and how do the pieces get integrated and pulled together and combined well? And uh, like I said, that emphasis on building processes which are exceptionally reliable and allow people to perform exceptionally well, that's certainly within the, the realm of the provider organizations.
0: What would happen if the improvements you promote were adopted by every hospital in the United
1: States? If you take a look at where we are now, healthcare is exceptionally risky from the patient perspective in terms of the risk of injury and avoidable death while receiving treatment. The costs are very, very high and growing at a rate much faster than our economy is growing. Access is denied to many. I read recently a statistic that of the care that's recommended, people get about half of what they actually need, preventative care, primary care, management of chronic conditions, and so forth. The evidence we have is that when organizations start complementing their deep, deep knowledge within disciplines and functions, with a a deep expertise also in the management of the processes by which care is delivered, bad things go down by extraordinary rates. So, for example, we had worked with a hospital in Pittsburgh, Allegheny General Hospital, which tackled this problem of central line-associated bloodstream infections. One year to the next, when they switched from a strictly functional view of the work they did to a a process view, and a process view which was continually self-correcting, self-improving, and self-innovating, They cut by about 98% within this one hospital the rate at which patients in the intensive care and the cardiac critical care units suffered from these infections. It was extraordinary. The region as a whole in Pittsburgh cut by nearly 70% the rate of these infections. There are other places which have targeted other huge problems. Patient falls, for example, cut by 90, 95, 98%. Surgical site infection cut by 95, 98%. And real problems which are Very costly, both in terms of financial cost, certainly, but in terms of human suffering. These problems have absolutely disappeared. And in talking to folks who are really engaged in this addition of a process perspective, a continuous improvement perspective to the delivery of care, to a person they say, we can probably as a society deliver twice as much care as we currently do at half the cost.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. Stephen Speer from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, discussing healthcare reform. Dr. Speer, do any of the presidential candidates echo your sentiments about healthcare reform?
1: To the best of my knowledge, the national debate right now is not focused on improving the the process of delivery from the provider side. If you look at the current debate, and it's actually really disappointing and depressing in in, in many regards, the current debate is, should we spend more or less than we currently do on healthcare, and who should bear the burden of of that cost? And and we can get into some debate as to the merits of how we shift costs and how much cost we absorb as a society, but the bulk of the proposals are around that. The problem is, proposed that way, it ignores the enormous opportunity to extract much more out of the system. And when I say extract more, it sounds so exploitive, but it really isn't. But to provide much better care to many more people at much less cost to payers and providers and with much less effort on the part of the providers who give that care. And I just want to emphasize that point for just a moment because we're not talking about shifting money from one pocket to the other, or one hand to the other, or from one person to the other. For those of us who know doctors and nurses and the other folks in the midst of the healthcare industry, to a person, they get into that line of work because they want to help other people. And also to a person, after a few years on the job, they start experiencing and expressing all the frustrations that go with working in a system. And again, we're being quite generous to even call it a system, but working in a sector where the delivery of care is so poorly managed, that people are constantly engaged in being heroic and firefighting and coping and otherwise working around and doing their best, despite all the frustration around them, to provide care to patients. So when we talk about a better situation, it's better for everybody. The presidential proposals, what almost all of them are proposing is a set of trade-offs. We can pay more, but at the expense of what? You can pay more, so I get off the hook, as opposed to we can actually, as a society, pay less and get much more out of this but there's not much emphasis on that right now.
0: Tell us about your book, Chasing the Rabbit.
1: The book, Chasing the Rabbit, the subtitle is, Why the World's Greatest Organizations Outdistance Their Competition. The book is due out in the fall from McGraw-Hill. The basic theme of the book, or the, the paradox the book addresses, is the question of why you can have companies, organizations, in in the same sector with each other, competing head-to-head with each other, in conditions that look like very much the same. They're offering similar products and services into the same marketplace, chasing after the same customers, sourcing oftentimes from the same suppliers, subject to the same regulations, all sorts of factors and conditions which would suggest very cutthroat competition, profitability, which is very hard to achieve and sustain, leadership, which is very hard to achieve and sustain. And when you look within sectors, whether it's in making microchips, hospitality, automobiles, commercial aviation, on and on and on down the line, what you see is for most organizations and markets like the ones I just described, it, it turns out competition is just an abysmal thing where they, they make someone money, they lose some money, someone's ahead, someone's behind. Yet in each of those sectors, there's always a company which looks like it's got a monopoly position. Sales are constantly growing. Customers are constantly delighted. Shareholders are delighted because profits are growing. And so the rabbits that we refer to in the in the title, those are the folks who they're in exactly the same game as everybody else. They're running across the same race course as everybody else, but they're always out in front. And it's like when you watch the last few miles of the marathon, one one or two runners out in front who look like they just got started, they look so smooth and composed, and everybody else is 15, 20, 30 yards behind, struggling, grimacing on their faces, and completely out of contention. So that's the phenomenon we're trying to explain And we do it both looking at some really great industrial companies but also providing some examples of healthcare organizations which have turned themselves into the rabbits.
0: How can listeners get a copy of your book?
1: If they're a little bit patient, it's in the process of being written and edited and all of that. And my friends at McGraw-Hill promise it will be published uh, July-August and it's in the fall catalog for fall of 08.
0: What led to your interest in this area?
1: My interest in this whole issue of what is some organization's tremendously outperformed their competition has its roots back into the at this point it's 20 years ago remember back in the 1980s we had this situation where Japan was rising it seemed to be rising at the expense of the United States and there were these very uh, dire predictions that within a few years Japan would take over the world economy and starting around 1988 1989 1990 there was this real sea change in American industry because Prior to that, everyone was running to Washington and begging their congressmen and senators to do something protective. And about 1990, a lot of that stopped. as The real forward-thinking American managers started to say, hey, wait a second, we can fix ourselves. And if, if we take lessons from these great Japanese companies in terms of how we manage design production and delivery, we can raise our level of performance so much that people will actually come back and start buying our products instead of theirs.
0: Dr. Speer, thank you so much for joining us to discuss health care reform.
1: Oh, you're quite welcome. I really do appreciate the opportunity to be on the air with you and, and speak with your listeners.
0: I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD library. Thank you for listening.